0: This is Mercy Harper, Writer for Research Services at APQC. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to APQC Podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today, I'm here with Marty Strong, CEO and Chief Strategy Officer for the LGS Management Group, to talk about integrated business planning. Welcome to the podcast, Marty.
1: Thanks for having me, Mercy.
0: I've also got Holly Lyco gland here. She's APQC's Principal Research Lead for Process and Performance Management. Good to see you, Holly. Good to see you as well. So integrated business planning, it's a methodology that integrates supply chain, financial planning, process, marketing, and more. And that combination of factors is what makes it so powerful, but it can also make it pretty confusing. And there's a lot of jargon and buzzwords and stuff around it. And that's why I'm so glad to have Marty on the podcast today, because he's got a lot of experience with making sense of complicated stuff and jumping into new adventures and ways of thinking and working. Marty is a decorated retired Navy SEAL officer who, after leaving military service, spent seven years as an investment advisor with UBS before transitioning into executive management for a billion-dollar-a-year defense contracting company. And if that wasn't enough, he has also authored eight novels and his business book, called Be Nimble, How the Creative Navy SEAL Mindset Wins on the Battlefield and in Business, is coming out in 2022. So Marty, let's jump into it. All right. First, uh, what's your opinion on integrated business planning, and we'll call it IBP from here on out, um, versus more traditional approaches like sales and operations planning?
1: From what I've been able to observe, and there's there's a big disconnect, uh, depending on the size of the business entity. You know, as you know, the vast majority of businesses in the United States, probably in around the world are, are small, small to mid-sized companies. And they have their own interpretation of both IBP and uh, sales and operations and sales and operations planning. The biggest distinction I think between the two is basically a clear distinction of a strategic thought process and a strategic outlook for business uh, and the business leaders and a kind of more parochial linear operational outlook and point of view and and framework that you'd find in the the classic kind of sales and operations structure. And in a lot of cases, even if they're both very uh, sophisticated and well-formed, they end up kind of acting like two ships passing in the night, not really communicating with each other and often not even seeing the reason to communicate with each other. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why IBP starts to become more of a, an emphasis in the larger companies, because the more confusing things get, the more complicated things get. You throw in global competition, global markets, lots of different products and services rolling out, some of them shutting down. If the two parts aren't talking to each other, it's it's it, it just starts to fall apart. And whatever measurements you're getting from both isn't telling you the story.
2: So it sounds like in a lot of ways, IVP takes a, a bigger strategic look, and then kind of part of that goal is then to break down some of those silos to help your organizations execute well on its, in, on its goals and plans for the year. Um, but what do you see as the most common or important disconnects then in IBP?
1: Well, I think that it starts with human beings. Jack Welch once was interviewed and he was asked, what is the number one challenge for any CEO? And he said, human resources. It's basically comes down to either managing talent, directing and leading talent, or motivating and incenting talent, and that talent is people. You can have the greatest, you know, jet plane or technology sitting there as a platform, and if the people do, don't want to use it or don't want to use it the way it's designed, or if the people that are designing it never talk to the people they're going to use it, so there's a disconnect there. And and because people are in the mix, and people are not, you know, one stamp, one size fits all in their mindset, their intellect, their education and background, their experience and their objectives and goals in business, you, you have this scenario that's just ripe for miscommunication. And I think that's the most challenging thing for the promise of integrating anything and integrating business uh, is, is complicated enough, is to try to get all these different disparate, disconnected, disassociated entities, constituencies internally, to one, communicate with each other at a basic level, sufficient that you can get them to actually fuse together and create some common goals and objectives. And maybe also understand that if if the strategy of a company is aiming for a new market penetration, or they have a new product that they really wanna emphasize and try to push and the sales and marketing and the product production side, is focusing on just making their financial metrics look great, so they're doubling down on the current uh, product or service du jour that's that's you know doing well to the detriment of the strategic objectives, and they don't see the problem with that. They literally, usually they're incented by how those financials turn out, so it's in their own best interest. So these are all these little internal, I guess, complications, um, and everybody's speaking kind of their own language. Also, you know, people coming from a finance traditional finance background, education, and unless it's in a very enlightened uh, university institution where they're actually trying to integrate thought as they're teaching basic accounting or or finance, they're going to have their own metrics, their own KPIs. They're going to be focusing on things maybe their last boss told them to focus on, not necessarily the place they're at now. They're just going to duplicate what they know as a standard, not even thinking about the context of where they are and not communicating with anybody else. That's an internal partner in the whole enterprise. Sales would do the same thing, manufacturing, production, supply chain management, inventory control, demand analysis, on and on and on and on. So that just kind of makes it look like Europe with everybody speaking a different language and everybody having a different economic system.
0: Totally, so it sounds like uh, silos are the sticking point here. So how can organizations design a IBB process that doesn't just work on paper, but also works with people. So I, most of my
1: experience is, is with very dynamic companies or analyzing very dynamic companies. And where they stumble in almost all execution is scaling. Now there's a lot of, a lot of things written about scaling, but, but scaling is really a challenge to doing, even if you had stovepipe functions, it would be a challenge, let alone trying to integrate them while you're trying to scale. So I found that that it's better to go simple and primitive early. Build kind of the scaffolding and the structure of an integrated communications team that's kind of multifaceted, represents all the different elements within the organization. Start there if you have nothing else. You don't have to have an advanced you know SAP platform. You don't have to have. You may not be big enough to to um, purchase something like that or or to buy the consulting to set those things up. Kind of grasp the the. The whole point of integrated business processes and planning, which is linking the strategic thought process and goal setting with the internal operations, and making sure that all the metrics and all the communications and, and the, the the feedback loops are all directed towards the same kind of common goal. And you can do that with a three-person team running a restaurant, right? You don't have to have a complicated business to do that, but it's actually even more important in a complicated business. If you walk in. You know, if I was a leader and I walked in and I saw all those disconnects and stovepipes, maybe, maybe sales, marketing, and production are working great together, but but they're off on a tangent. They're they're going in a completely different way. They're focusing on an an, a, uh, an obsolete product or service that strategically the senior leaders are fully aware of. Maybe the outside investors are aware of, and everybody thinks the message got across, but that that hasn't happened yet. They're they're actually moving in two different directions. So that's that's pretty much what I would see is the first issue you have to solve is, does it exist? If it doesn't exist, create it even at the most primitive level, even at like the kitchen tabletop level, sit down, map it out on a whiteboard or a piece of paper, agree how you're gonna communicate with each other, do some common goal setting. And as you grow and scale, and even if you're you're large and you have a lot of resources, now what you're doing is you've got a basic blueprint. You've got a basic kind of diplomatic agreement between the, the different disparate parts. Now start to grow and apply the technology and all the other things is going to make all this um, data fuse and start to become you know, relevant and, and knowable through dashboards and other kinds of methods.
0: I like this idea of um, the kind of you know, the primitive team here, the, the bare bones start starting point there. Is there any more kind of um, practical, tactical advice that you could give folks for identifying who needs to be on there? how often they might be meeting and communicating out and how they might be um, measuring their progress as they're starting to implement this and try to get it to work and, and take root in the business.
1: Sure. Well, it's, it's, I'm not creating this out of whole cloth. There's a lot of other, I guess, strategic and overarching kind of programs that, that would follow the same pattern. Safety programs. You know, You have to basically enlist everybody in a safety program they're usually at the very small unit level, there's somebody that represents that unit for the safety plan that understands you know, what the fire drill is, or, or if it's a larger, more complex um, uh, infrastructure, like a ship or something like that. Everybody has to know the safety plan in every single little small group. And there's a safety advisor in that group that then goes to meetings and eventually goes up to some kind of confirmation validation to the, to the senior person in the organization that everybody's on board, understands a safety plan. They're practicing what they're supposed to practice. And if they walked into anybody in the hallway, they could ask them some questions and everybody would give the right answers. It's the same thing. I'm a master black belt, in Lean Six Sigma. It's the same kind of structure for quality assurance, quality control. You deputize an agent at every level of unit activity. And they don't have to be, you know, have a highfalutin title. They don't have to have a lot of incredible training, but they become the representative that acts as the quality sheriff, so to speak, in that in that particular structure. So I, I would suggest the same thing with integrating business um, processes within disparate groups. And I'd almost think it of it if you think of it more like diplomatic service. So you know, diplomats are sent out there to communicate between two different cultures. And over time, the two different cultures start to understand each other, and the misunderstandings and the disconnects that could cause problems they start to erode and go away and eventually sometimes you even become allies, which is even more of a coherent, coherent, uh, partnership. So I would, I would actually take the different groups. Once you've communicated that everybody understands what the, the common goals are, have each group, um, somebody who's kind of like the diplomat for integration and their job isn't to roll over or their job isn't to give up what their constituent group needs, but they're there to understand that if they're, metrics, measures, et cetera, are meaningless to the other group, they only have internal value, well, then they they get it. They're not gonna keep pushing that agenda that has to be somehow be in the master plan, has to be in the integrated platform. And, and in the military, what they do is they, they fuse intelligence. They fuse information and data because it's coming from thousands and thousands of different sources. There's so many sources, and it's, it's so easy to collect these days that anybody that actually had to make a decision based on that information is overwhelmed.
0: Mm.
1: It's almost it, up until about the late nineties, it was a useless exercise. I actually was invited into a room that was filled with boxes. And that was the result of my request for intelligence one time. And I didn't have, I had like 30 minutes. I didn't have time to read through an entire room full of reams of paper and things. They they didn't know how to boil it down. So this is another thing that the diplomats can do. What do the different groups need? What kind of empathy can you create? Between the groups, and then how can you come up with a communication shorthand which includes the different metrics that all the groups need, and then of course, obviously, the senior leaders need that comes out of the whole integrated business process that you've created.
2: Kind hmm. of, uh, kind of an add-on question. To that so identifying those diplomats, you know, what are some things people do? I and mean, we have the same issue when we're talking about change agents, right, within the business, is figuring out who is the right person. Is it a matter of hierarchy? Is it a matter of influence? And, and what is kind of your advice about identifying those good fit diplomats?
1: Judgment, wisdom, and communication skills. I don't care if they're the janitor. Right. If you send somebody in there as a paladin, you know, with a flaming sword in one hand, with a righteous mandate from their leadership <laughs> to, to stand your ground and do not, do not change, do not roll over, do not compromise, you're getting nowhere and you know what i'm talking about i mean you know you go to a budget meeting that's what everybody shows up at the budget meeting they're going to fight for fight for resources right and they're all advocates for their own objectives so that's that's what i think the characteristics or attributes of that particular diplomat or change agent has to be otherwise it's it's kind of a useless exercise you're just sending in a warrior to battle in the battleground of ideas and you're you're going to get a you may get a consensus of some sort or a compromise that may still fail to make it any better.
2: Right, yeah. yeah. So instead it's a matter of having a broader, holistic perspective, having the ability to empathize and and also, like you said, be able to take information and roll it up to what's the most important aspects of it and what's gonna be you know part of the the overall success for the organization, not just my department.
1: Absolutely, I mean, as a CEO, I spend a lot of time on strategic thinking. I, I look out at the horizon and, I'm looking for threats and opportunities. And in mm-hmm. both cases, you know, do we need to pivot towards or away? Do we need to do something to inoculate or to you know, armor ourselves early against something? Do I need to talk to investors to figure out whether we need capital for what I think is going to be an opportunity? But when I look down and I'm getting information from the operations of the company, it depends on who I'm talking to, whether I'm getting lots of minute kind of data points, and, you know they're giving me say one person will give me one leader will give me kpis that i'm just getting you know machine gunned with data points and basically what it puts me in a position is i have to know their job as well as they do so i can analyze this pile that they put in front of me to come to a conclusion and then i'll have somebody else that comes in and gives me a conclusion with no data points so from the, from a leader looking down it's important for me and any leader to try to also You know economize and streamline that communications flow if you have a perfectly operating um ibp structure and everybody's all playing well and everything you still have to figure out how do you fuse that information down to usable knowledgeable intelligence for the senior leadership because they're trying to steer the organization strategically Mm -hmm. and you may you may be patting yourself on the back that you got all this volume punched out but they may be overwhelmed. So that's another component that senior leaders have to think about. As, and that's how they end up interfacing with that that disparate group of, of change agents.
0: Right.
2: There's a, yeah, there's a delicate balance as you're, as you're going up in the communication of, you need to have some of the data, you need to have what are some of the major information points, but also the storytelling and the conclusions and suggestions that wrap around it. So people have that context
1: for the decisions. Correct, and, and I think if, depending on the size of the organization, it's easier for smaller, but a lot of that storytelling and understanding of the holistic nature of, of an organization starts when you when you hire somebody. It starts during the onboarding process. It's, you have to infuse people with the legend and the mythology and what the purpose is. And it can't be just a lot, you, know, you can't allow the person in the accounting department to determine what the new accounting um, hires Think about the universe inside the, inside the organization, and, but that happens a lot. It's, it's just kind of deflected. They go straight to you know onboarding, training, getting orient, orienting to your particular function you've been hired for, and they skip right over you know why you you're all showing up at work, you know why why you why you're there, what the purpose is, the overarching purpose.
2: I think culture winds up becoming that that thing that plays such a big point of helping people out of those silos, right? Understanding the values, not just the values and the missions, because that's the stuff on paper, but what is the drivers of the culture that that takes everybody and brings everybody into this business every day?
1: Yes. And I, for leaders, I would say never assume as you're growing and scaling that the culture that you created, especially if you're a founder, the culture that you created you think is operating still exists mm-hmm. after you disconnect from it. Cause that happens a lot. You, you know, the, and you bring, you bring some of the early founding leadership up with you. And next thing, you know, the whole generation has moved in below and they were hired based on their resume, not their fit with the culture, not with their, you know, they're in small companies. If you can't handle multi, multiple, projects, being a follower, a leader, you know, um, interacting with a lot of different personalities. If you're just kind of a one trick pony, I want to sit in my cubicle and just do my little to-do list. That's a bad hire for that culture. But if you hire enough of those people, you just change the culture to that culture. Right. And that's where you can take an actual integrated organization, pat yourself on the back, look back a year later, and it's pulling itself back into the stovepipes. <laughs>
2: right. Well, that kind of goes into the, the next question, which is, you know, you, you've put a lot of communication down, you, you've established the technology, um, you've had implementation. so it, you know. And then as we know, anytime you roll something out after a certain while, it kind of, for either the culture reasons or the reasons tends to kind of go backwards. Um, What can you do to turn around that kind of regression?
1: Well, one way is, you know, this uh, idea of assigning diplomats responsible for integration, Mm -hmm. not just when you're designing and building and creating an integrated structure. Because a lot of times what happens is everybody does that. And it's like building a building. As soon as the building is built, all the subcontracting people that put in the tile and the they all go away, right? It right. just dissipates. They were a team, and now they're not. So you can't let that happen. You have to maintain the discipline and the the rigor of having those groups come together. Those individual diplomats get feedback on what's working, what's not working, mm-hmm. and you know things are changing so fast in in business in the United States, but interacting with other um economies around the world you really can't sit back for more than about two or three months without reevaluating what you built because it's going to become stale or obsolete fairly quickly if you don't pay attention to it it's, it's going to be a problem that it became stale or obsolete so i suggest you know when you set up this kind of exoskeleton of diplomatic interaction change agents um that it's maintained as a standard policy it's something that meets and reports that senior management makes sure that these things are still happening, these meetings are still happening. Senior management challenges it because usually senior management sees things coming. You know, it's coming at a distance. Okay, what's going to happen? You guys get together. What's going to happen to our current integrated processes, the way we're structured that seems to be happily clicking along? If that if that event happens, right. it doesn't have to be a black swan like COVID nineteen hitting, but but that would be another re- reason to do it. I'd mm-hmm. reassemble, reassess. Reevaluate, and maybe a lot of the the information and the premise that you built all of your um, systems on are now suspect, right? Because things are going to change radically. So, you know, I always teach that, always explain that. When I'm coaching, I do that. It's it's in the book. Um, you know, How do you do that? And I am going to call the book "Be Humble," but I decided to call it "Be Nimble" because what I just described is more of a nimble leadership. Yeah, it's it's being humble. You have to kind of clear your mind of what you think the world's all about. And then you have to accept the information as it's sitting there, the reality of the situation. And then you have to be nimble enough. All the leaders have to be nimble enough to reinvent themselves based on the new information. That's a, that's a rare trait in management teams. Right. Usually they, they double down on history, tradition, what they think is, is the truth. And they put their hands over their ears and go, wah, 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 wah. It's all going to go away. We'll just hold, we'll just hold what we do. We aren't going to change anything, but that's not the case. So, Reinforce it, res- uh, resource it too. Make sure these people are are touted as heroes within the organization. Don't make it drudgery to be on that that change agency group. You know, um, and, and reward them for their insights. Make sure you, that leadership tells them you are an important component of my decision making. Things that you guys are saying, I'm actually saying to the investors, to shareholders, to ever uh, outside constituents. You know, banks. but I'm explaining what we're doing now and what we're going to do in the future. You have to just keep reinforcing it.
0: On the on the sort of the other hand, uh, sustained agility is kind of almost like an oxymoron, right? So how do you, you want to keep it sustainable, but you also don't want it to get stale. So how do you ensure that these teams aren't just going through the motions? I
1: think one of the reasons or one of the methods you could use, I just kind of alluded to is whether it's a senior top leadership or the leadership of, of one of the core functions of the company, you have to challenge the group. Basically, send them a list of questions. They could be strategic questions. They could be operational questions. Uh, they could be competitive questions. They could be you know, you, you've become aware of a, of a better system, a better IT platform. What does this mean to us? Are we OK? Should we start thinking about shifting to a different platform? you have to actually trigger the engagement by challenging that group to keep thinking about this as a separate and legitimate and high priority function of their of their workday because like in the the analogy of the construction of a building they will dissipate and in time if you're not paying attention to who's doing that work that diplomatic work eventually they'll they'll leave they get promoted somebody else will be put in there that doesn't have all those attributes i'd outlined before and you can start actually changing the culture of that little team mm-hmm. just by changing the personalities in there. So it has to be cultivated. And the, um, I don't think that being agile nowadays is something you have to be prepared for once in a while. I think maybe 25 years ago before technology really started to challenge things before global economies you know, started to challenge the United States. I don't think you know. Back then, Ford Motor Company in the '60s had to be incredibly agile and nimble all the time. Things happened really slow, and changes happened slow. And competitors came out in the market and challenged you, and it took years. That's if they could even survive. That that's not the way it is anymore. Everything's fractured. You could find out tomorrow somebody's eating your lunch that you've never heard of before, and they're doing it in a way you've never dreamed of. So, being agile is a part of the job. Being agile is part of the job for anybody that's designing ideas designing solutions or leading teams they're executing and obviously leading companies that are trying to survive in a very complex environment it's it you're just never going to get away from it i don't think
0: awesome holly you got any more questions for marty Uh, no
2: actually you kind of guys talked about the agility thing because as you were talking about it we did a study on organizational agility um earlier in the year and so many organizations are still stuck in that annual planning cycle. Um, and and you know, it sounds like the integrated business planning approach kind of helps bake in some of those those things that make people more agile, right? You've got people who are exploring and, and helping the organization understand what's going on. But like you said, you're challenging them. What does this mean? Um, you're having them stay aware and cognizant of what's going on in the business around them um, and thinking about what that does. And it's not just trapped at the senior leader level, as far as asking and talking about those questions, so really integrating that throughout the organization with the, these diplomats seems to be like a really good way of kind of building some of that capability.
1: I agree, um, and sometimes there's there's kind of boring technology that that enables all of that. And the, I, you're, when you're discussing, I was thinking about another way of of inciting these diplomats to engage is to create a requirement of frequency so mm-hmm. the old classic uh, you set up a financial budget towards the end of one year for the next year it gets approved January 1 you start rolling down the year and then your financial uh, leadership gives you a variance to the budget right and so you're either drifting away staying online you know and you just kind of move along well there's some dynamic I guess, industries, uh, healthcare is one of them, and I have one of my companies I lead is a healthcare company, where it's so dynamic that the inputs that drive financial performance are constantly changing and they're so varied and they're so, I guess, uncontrollable that a few years back, major hospital systems and large healthcare organizations went to what they called a rolling budget approach.
0: Yeah.
1: You basically chew up every month. So there's never a widening gap of variance over months and months and months. Now, you know what? You can't do that unless you have a whole lot of accountants working on it all the time, or you have software that supports and enables that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and that's exactly what we what we ended up doing. So the software is, is kind of off the shelf software. It's nothing crazy, but if you think through the problem of, of higher frequency of understanding and knowledge and, and awareness, it forces you to look for a solution. And sometimes the solution has been just sitting there, you know, at at, at Target on the shelf. It's not a it's not a high-end expensive thing. So, you know, that's the frequency of engagement, I think, also helps shake the cobwebs and makes you more situationally aware.
2: And it also helps with those measures like you're talking about at the beginning, right? People who are attached to going off into their own projects or not killing something when it should be killed and moving on to something else. Um, Because if you go with that annual budget, you're going to stick to your guns in whatever project you're doing, even if it's failing, because then you're losing budget. And that means next year, you're likely to not get as much budget next year when you're going into it. So it creates a cycle of, of doing these things, but building in that frequency and those short term
1: assessments by the team really helps kind of move all of that along. And think about the, your, your first question you asked me about you know compare and contrast mm-hmm. sales and operations compared to IBP I'd said what happens if if the sales marketing production are moving down the line and reinforcing the product that's making money but they're ignoring the strategic imperative to penetrate a new market or to reinforce a new product right it'll get masked in a standard budget mm-hmm. if I'm financially you know kicking butt and the numbers are showing up and I'm meeting my budget requirements usually senior leadership doesn't dig down below that because it looks like it's, and especially if it's a little mm-hmm. bit above budget, you're doing better. The variance to the upside, nobody's right. going to look at and say, oh, it's all coming from the wrong source strategically. Right. Yeah. Right.
0: Excellent. Awesome. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on the pod, Marty. This has been fun.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me. Been interesting. <laughs>
0: So if uh, folks wanna pre-order Marty's book, they should go to Amazon and look up Be Nimble, how the creative Navy SEAL mindset wins on the battlefield and in business. Uh, the book drops on January 1st, 2022, and I think it'll be a great way to kick off the new year. And in the meantime, uh, our listeners can visit martystrongbenimble.com to learn about, more about Marty and his work. And uh, once again, I'm Mercy Harper. And I'm Holly Lake Please visit apqc.org to learn more, and we hope you have a great rest of your day.